exhibit of the eerie and the oddball. Our first offering this evening, faces. Paint, pigment, and desperation. The quiet desperation of men over 40 who keep hearing footsteps behind them and are torn between a fear and a compulsion to look over their shoulders. The painting is called, They're Tearing Down Tim Riley's Bar. Welcome to episode 16 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. And as you could tell from that intro from uh, Rod Serling, today we're talking about their tearing down Tim Riley's bar. This is the Emmy-nominated story. It's uh, probably the uh, one of the best stories, what well, is the best story in the first season, and possibly the uh, one of the highlights of the entire, entire run, the three-season run. Let me just give you a quick idea of uh, the story. It is um, set, well, we start in Pritkin Plastic Products, uh, and uh, they're one of their sales directors is a guy called Randolph Lane, Randy Lane, as his friends call him. He's um, slowly turning into a drunk, though. Um, he's uh, wicked liquid lunches are now the norm. And his secretary, Lynn, is trying to help him by peeping over the cracks for him. Um, you know, he's, she's trying to keep his behaviour away from the uh, the president, who's a guy called H.E. Pritkin, hence the name of the company. <laughs> no matter what efforts she puts in, though, the problem lies that there is a guy called uh, Harvey Doan, and Harvey is uh, his assistant, but he's kind of a two-faced kind of guy, and he is very, very busy trying to trip up our hero, Randy, and uh, to get him to fail. Uh, and he takes a um, quite a gleeful joy in trying to destroy him, leading to quite explosive arguments. What do you say, Spore? Have a good lunch. Dandy. I uh, took the Carstairs stuff into the old man. He was getting kind of anxious. Good on you. <clears throat> Made a few embellishments. I hope you don't mind. Be my guest. Uh, that uh, sales pitch you had in the opening, I had to touch that up quite a bit. Touch away, lad. Touch away. You putting me on? Me putting you on? Why would I possibly want to do that? Well, usually when I try to be a little independent, you step on me. Usually when you try to be a little independent, you're... Too flamboyant, too artsy, craftsy, and noticeably dishonest. I step on you, Doan, to keep you within ten feet of Mother Earth. Now, I'll admit you're a hotshot peddler, but unless you are mildly restrained, you'll soon be claiming the moon. Takes a while, doesn't it? To do what? To get a rise out of you. Young Master Doan, who has to draw blood before the six o'clock whistle, or else he goes home and kicks his teddy bear. All right, pat yourself on the back. You've gained a point. You pricked me. You finally riled the old bull. Perhaps unsurprising for a guy who's turning into a bit of a drunk. He, uh, Randy has an obsession with a bar um, that's now closed, that's been closed down for years and is now being knocked down. Tim Riley's, it's called. Um, it's a relic, really. He's got fond memories, but um, now it's it's gone and it's you know it's dusty and boarded up. Obviously, um, Randy doesn't want to see it go, and he's. Um, 
he's, he's, he has such a fondness for it that um, he's blinded it blinds his presence to a great extent and also kind of dominates his memories of the past um, he's got guilt over his wife's death apparently he was um, selling plastics on the road when his wife was dying of pneumonia and um, he's so blinded by this this love of the, his own past and what he'd done that um, he can't see that there's a growing affection from uh, Lynn's secretary and himself. Well, to him, to him, he can't see that. He likes her a lot, but can't see that she wants more. Worse, though, for, for, for Randy is that he's constantly now getting visions, visions of his past uh, and ghosts from this bar. Um, you see him outside talking to a friend, and then he can hear shouts as if the place was still full and busy and packed. Uh, but obviously... It isn't anymore. And um, he can't... Well, he can't really... Um, is the reality and fantasy are mixing to ex- such an extent that he can't... Um, he can't differentiate between what's real and what's not. He knows that the uh, the people at the bar can't possibly be real, but he's so desperate to live in that, in that begotten age, that long-lost time when he was still a young man, before he'd met his wife... That um, he he you know he wanted to be real and it starts affecting him. Um, for you know he gets as as stuff gets worse, he he becomes drunk and he's um, found in the bar by a policeman friend, and then he has he gives him basically this rant to uh, explain his situation. Before you say one word, Officer McDermott, I must report to you that I am the sole custodian of $11.80 worth of Antoine's finest bourbon. Okay, Randy, fine. Now, listen, I'm just getting off duty. My car is parked less than a block away from here, so what do you say to a nice little ride home? Are you going to stay around for the party? The party is over, Randy. Over? Where's everybody gone? They've gone to their respective rewards. Now, the party's been over for 25 years. Now, come on, laddie, let's go home. No, 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 Officer McDermott. This is where it is, right here. This is where what is, Randy? The best years of my life. It may be that you decide to call downtown for the psycho squad, but something different has been happening to me. I keep getting beckoned to by ghosts. Every now and then it's 1945. How do you like them apples? And if you think that sounds nutty, get a load of this. I wish those ghosts would stick around. They're the best friends I've got. I feel a lot more comfortable with them than I do with these live, warm, flesh and blood bodies I ride up and down elevators with. Randy, why don't you tell me all about it in the car? Because I want to tell you about it here. Now, I rate something more than I've got. Where does it say that every morning of a man's life he's got the Indian wrestle with every hot young contender off the sidewalk who has an itch to go up one rung. McDermott, I've put in my time. You understand that? I've paid my dues. I shouldn't be hustled to death in the daytime and then die of loneliness every night. That's not the dream. That's not what it's about. Okay, Randy. (laughs) Come on. I'll drive you home. He ends up spending a night in the cells um, after another drunken night of hallucinations and um, 
hauntings of, of his from his own past. Um, when he comes back in, it's obviously common knowledge of what happened to him the night before, and he loses his job. Um, enraged by the situation, uh, Lynn confronts um, the boss and says that um, you know Randolph had given the uh, the company twenty five years, uh, and he deserves thanks more than thanks really she kind of basically said you know the least you could do is give him a gold clock but um, instead I mean you know he's lost his job and was slowly getting edged out he knew his time was running outwards um, Lane basically because of because of this spirals out of control there's nothing left for him in the present and he wants to join his past and join these ghosts he breaks into Tim Riley's bar um to basically escape the present. But even then, now the ghosts there are aware that they're tearing the bar down themselves and they um, they basically say, you know, that, that he can't be part of this anymore. And there's a really touching moment as his wife sings Old Lang Syne and he's desperate to get everyone to to basically join with him and continue this this dream that that you know to continue this life but obviously they can't and because they does you know they, they don't exist anymore and the bar is about not to exist anymore as well and yeah i mean it's quite a a touching and, and quite sad moment them don't think about them at all come on everybody this this is where it's at right here this bar now i'm back don't you understand it's 1945 and i i'm back come on everybody please sing randy come on pop give us a couple of choruses of temporary tim play the piano everybody everybody sing how about that randy they're tearing down tim riley's bar that's what they're doing, Ken. Yep. That's what they're doing. Katie, you sing for me. Please sing. Should old acquaintance be... Oh, no, Katie. No sad songs on this occasion. This is a homecoming. Oh, no, Katie, no. Should be... We're going to be married, you and I. We're going to buy a white house with two stories. That's what's going to happen, don't you see? And I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you something right now. We'll change it all. It's going to be right this time. I'm not going to lose you, Katie. I swear to God, I'm not going to lose you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Listen to me. I can't stay here. I have no place here. I'm an antique, a has-been. I have no function, no purpose here. If you desert me, I'm marooned. I can't survive out there. Don't go away. Come on, back. Pop, Jim. Don't you see? They, they've stacked the deck that way. They've got it fixed so you get, you get elbowed right off the earth. You don't know what it's like out there. I tell you, the whole bloody world is coming apart at the seams. I... I can't hack it, I swear to God, I can't hack it! My dear, poor old Lang Syne. 
Katie, I can't lose you. You're all I've got. I've lost everything else. So it's now at his lowest ebb, not able to rejoin the past, seeing his friends and his father and his wife fade, literally fade away from view. He steps outside uh, while workmen get ready to demolish the building and he hears from the bar opposite uh, singing of, uh, for he's a jolly good fellow. Hearing that and hearing the warmth, he decides to go and investigate and there he finds all his friends led by uh, the boss Prickin and also Lynn the secretary. And the president of the company says that He's been shamed, basically, and shamed to remind himself that to tell Lane that his work will always is appreciated. He's loved by his friends and colleagues, and here's to another twenty-five years with him in the company. Outside, Tim Riley's bar is being demolished, but Lane doesn't seem to really care about that at that stage. For now, he wants to live in the present and no longer in the past so I mean it's a beautiful episode it's not frightening it's not sci-fi I mean there are supernatural elements to it but I mean you could equally argue that almost everything that happens to to Randy is because of you know alcohol um, because of his state of mind the trouble that he's put himself through um, but, you know, it's unusual, really, for a Night Gallery episode to be quite so, um, quite, quite, you know, not not morbid, really, to be fair. At its heart, there is a great deal of emotion. Um, and, you know, it's... Salem, you know, at his best, always deals with strong characters and powerful and emotive Stories, and I think this is a classic example of that. At its heart, Randy Lane is a very likable man and a very touching man, a tragic figure, the kind of guy you want to really help. You don't want to see him destroy himself. And, you know, it's a story not of supernatural elements, really, but it is a haunting, a man who's haunted by his past and also by his presence. Randy's a man who um, dreams of regaining his lost youth. Um, he is the king of rose tinted glass, I think it's fair to say. Um, he, you know, it's it's just, he's a man who has wants to return to innocence um, and certainly wants to avoid the feeling uh, that he has of cynicism. It's very well directed. It's directed by Don Taylor, um, who's managed... I mean, the skill here on show is the fact that he's managed to take a uh, complicated script from sailing, one that bounces between different time zones to tell its time... or time zones, time time periods, to tell its story. Um, But, you know, he does it with uh, great plomb, and he does it also... You know, with a simplicity, you know exactly where you are. 
is uh, it could e- very easily be bogged down in a, uh, an overcomplicated telling, but that's not the case here. There are also two great performances at its heart. William Wyndham as Lane and Diane Baker as Lynn. Um, Lane is the embodiment of, appears to be, you know, well, Wyndham's version of Lane, I should say, is the embodiment of um, the old broken down salesman. It's something Sailing returns to again and again in his writing. The guy who used to be, you know, he used to be the, the, the brilliant at what he did, and now as time's gone on, he's it's edged away from him. Um, his sale, you know, he, you know, he's he's a broken man, really, in fairness, and you know, as much he wants to escape, it is a story about wanting to escape. Um, he's a cliche in a sense because you know he's the likable drunk. And um, but you know it, it takes a really good actor to be able to pull that kind of work off, and in this case, he did it with a great deal of skill and style. The um, the production kind of went off with too many without too many hiccups, but um, there were some quite unusual problems with it. Um, obviously, the demolition scene was done on one of the back lots, and. Um, Basically, they um, it needed to be. It was very. The shot was meant to be very stylized. They, there was a a, um, a window, uh, a glass window, and the wrecking ball was meant to shoot through it in that particular window in a dramatic style. And like you know, they were talking to the the workmen who were, who were going to do this for for them, and very much, you know, can you do this? Will it be okay? And they were saying, yeah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Anyway, completely balls it up. The wrecking ball swung through the air, missed the window, and smashed the building next door. So they they ruined a different set, um, which is genius and a classic example of how things can go wrong, I suppose. Um, Sailing loved the episode. Um, there was a slight, there was a feeling that the editing at the end was a little bit heavy-handed when they were singing. That he's a jolly good fellow, and and the ball went through. The wrecking ball destroyed the building. But for me, I don't think that made too much difference. I mean, it, yes, it is a little bit heavy in terms of um, you know showing exactly where you are emotionally in the story. But you know, you can forgive that. It's um, it's it's still quite a quite a great little bit, quite a great little scene. To be fair, um, although it got an Emmy nomination, Universal didn't really push. To try and uh, get it, you know, I think, yeah, NBC didn't really push to try and get, um, you know, much out of that, really. There wasn't a nomination for the director, nor for the writer, or for any of the actors. So, basically, the chat was, this is a great episode, but we're not actually going to say why. (laughs) Uh, Which is a shame. Um, They didn't do a big push on it. But on the other hand, the show was doing quite well at this stage anyway. Um... There is a bit of confusion about the ending, about what the ending was actually going to be. Um, some of the cast say that they felt thought the original ending was that he was standing in the rain, uh, the bar was getting knocked down, and that's it. No, no happy ending for Lane. Um, he gets nothing basically. Um, I don't know how true that is. Um, there's no evidence 
that Serling actually wrote that ending. Um, there is basically scenes... Of, well, there's an original script that doesn't... Well, it only goes up to the end of the second act, basically. So that's out. And then the next draft, when it's called The Turn Down Tim Riley's Bar, um, that actually features the ending that he's for his jolly good fellow ending um so it's there so my guess is considering there is so much stuff when sailing isn't happy because he changed the script there isn't anything this time in any of the archive in the in the rod sailing archive so my guess is it didn't happen uh that and he you know sailing has always intentioned the happy ending for lane um I think that's probably the case anyway, because it would be quite a brutal hammer blow finish for the story. Uh, there wouldn't actually be that much of a res- resolution either, because it would just be uh, bang, finish, misery, and no real kind of closure to the story. Just the you know, it, it would be a story of a man who just falls apart, and that would be it. Um, I think. There's an awful lot of sailing in this story um, in terms of, you know, the man who feels like, you know, there's young books trying to push him up to one side. He's, he's, he, he feels very close to Lane, I think. And I think in Sailing's eyes, Lane deserves his his his, his happy ending. I, I agree. I, I think it's um, I think it's a really nice way to close that story off. Um, interestingly, um there's two stories to this episode uh, and this was originally the second story but we've done it like how how it is now effectively they, they switched them round for the repeat um, which I think is it's a good way to do it because it, it's such a strong amazing strong story I mean it's 40 minutes it's the chunkiest tale in the entire season and um, it's just a great one it really is great for me, it's it's strength and power lies not in its shocks or or scares like the like something like the doll, which is just creepy. More, it's an emotional heart. I think it was rightly nominated for the Emmy. Um, no matter what people say about Night Gallery, and no matter how people's opinions are on the series, I know some people love it, some people hate it, and a lot of people think, and myself thinks, you know, even when it's good, it's very very good, and when it's bad, it can be terrible. But this episode, on its own, is such a stunning piece of writing. It's every now and again, Sarah was just able to completely knock it out the park, and he did it with such relish and aplomb. And rare, rarely with Night Gallery, everything works, and everything works really well. And this is an occasion when this is the case. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm, I hope you do too. Tom from uh, the Twilight Zone podcast was uh, kind enough to send me some feedback as well on this story. Uh, I know he's been watching the uh, the episodes along with the podcast, so um, here's a little clip of his opinions on the show. Hi Chris, this is Tom from the Twilight Zone podcast. So I've been watching Night Gallery as we went along. I hadn't actually seen it yet until... You know, we we started doing this project, you know, me with the Twilight Zone podcast, you with the Night Gallery podcast. 
and I've been enjoying it, don't get me wrong, but I haven't really been blown away by the Night Gallery yet until now. I think I knew Tim Riley's bar was a big one, but I was and I was hoping for the best, but also when something is so well liked, you know, there's always that chance of disappointment too. The opening of the episode didn't really fill me with that much confidence. It you know, just a very kind of seventies looking office. The the more the story went on, the more it gripped me and you know, I think it taps into one of these very kind of human things that Rod Serling could often just hit right on the head. You know, I mean, even at 34 as I am, I can sympathise with Randy Lane's predicament. I'm, you know, thankfully, I'm not as washed up as he is, but I can still, you know, look back on times where, you know, you're really on fire during the day at work, and then that night you're out and you're living it up, you're really kind of on fire too with the people that you socialise with and places do become important because they just get filled with memories and so on and you know in, t- in Randy's case it was the tragedy of losing his wife that seems to be his turning point but I think it can just be that sometimes you just get older and a little tired and you know you see these young up and comers in the same place that you were at the time and you realise that your priorities have changed. That you know, especially if you're in a job that maybe didn't interest you that much in the first place, and you were kind of just coasting on that youthful energy that that you had at that time. But then, as you get older, the the downtime becomes much more important to you, and you know, spending time with loved ones at home, which I guess, of course, is the real kind of tragedy there, because Randy doesn't have that anymore. But yeah, a, a nice uplifting ending though, a wonderful and a wonderful piece of television in general, I think. But I think something that struck me is how unlike gallery it was. You know, there's no kind of real supernatural element there. I mean, Randy has those episodes where he kind of finds himself in the past, but, you know, I think there's probably been a lot of just straightforward dramas that have used devices like that to illustrate someone remembering something as well it's not necessarily a supernatural thing so I do kind of wonder whether this was just a story that Sailing wanted to tell and Night Gallery was the forum that he had at the time and maybe he'd have been equally happy just putting it out as a straightforward drama you know in its own right anyway who knows I don't know but a great episode and um, you know it is the I guess the first time that Night Gallery is really made me sit up and take notice to that degree but I have been enjoying it in general it's it's been a really enjoyable show so anyway Chris keep up the good work I like I say I haven't seen that gallery before we started doing this and I think one of the great pleasures has been watching the show and then listening to your thoughts afterwards you know it's been really great and I, I really enjoy doing that so keep it up and Hopefully we'll speak again before the series is done. Cheers, Chris. Bye. Cheers that, Tom. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with obviously a lot of what you just said there. Um, interesting to hear what you said about uh, the job and that kind of stuff and how you, you feel it kind of affects you personally. I, I, I mean, I'm only 30 and obviously I'm, I'm you know, a fair few years off from uh, where Randy is. But, um, yeah, um, from my own position as uh, I, I, well, my former job as a newspaper journalist, you do see certain people occasionally um, you know edging their way out of the com- you know, of the company and the industry 
um, possibly through their own actions more than from um, you know their um, from any kind of wish or desire. Um, I'd say that you know from my point of view from that that it's kind of a young man's game and um, so yeah I've kind of I think that's possibly why it's resonated so much with me personally myself. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Um, I'm kind of doing similar with the Twilight Zone. I mean, I've seen quite a fair few of them. I didn't realise quite how many I hadn't seen. Um, you know, because I've obviously I've been watched. I've always watched them kind of ad hoc, as and when, rather than sitting through a box set. So um, it's nice that we're able to both do the same thing ourselves with their uh, respective shows. Um, just another bit of feedback. Um, I'll put this on the uh, the website under the doll entry. But uh, the Night Gallery Twitter feed sent me a link to an interview with Gilmero de Toro, um, the guy who did Pan's Labyrinth and Kronos. Um, he was just talking about uh, things that scared him as a child, and uh, he mentioned the doll. Uh, he said that the, the, the ending was so frightening that he, uh, he peed himself. It's just a little bit in a wider interview, but um, I'll, uh, I'll send you, I'll, I'll send, I'll, uh, I'll post that. Under the uh, the dolls um, the dolls information. So if you want to have a go and have a quick look at, at that, you can do. Um, if you want to send any feedback, you can do to uh, Night Gallery at the Twilight Zone Podcast Just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, if you want to uh, speak to me, uh, you can do easiest ways on Twitter at, at orange underscore monkey. If you want to send any feedback in, you can send it at Night Gallery at the Twilight Zone Podcast or if you go to the twilightzonepodcast.com, uh, you can see uh, Ra- Dimension X Radio, as, a, as it is called now, a website. There's a, there's a chance to leave a comment on there. Or you can jump over to the link to the uh, UK Twilight Zone uh, po- uh, forum. Um, always, you know, there's plenty of different ways to get hold of me. I, I, I tend to be easily, easily, easy to get hold of. Um, next week. We have got, um, well, it's the last story in season one, would you believe? We're already up to that stage. It's called The Last Laurel. Um, it's a short one. Don't get don't get too excited. It's just okay. Um, but before I go, I'd like to finish off this podcast, uh, considering we're talking about um, the tearing down Tim Riley's bar, with a, a letter that Rod Serling received from Rolf... Compare it. Um, Rolf was uh, at an NBC screening in December 16th, 1970. He was a member of the press department, so he'd be uh, one of the guys trying to push push the uh, the story in the papers. And his um, his letter, I think, sums up the story far better than I could. Dear Rod, I just saw the tearing down Tim Riley's bar, and justice demands that I write you a fan letter. It's an absolute gem. A thing of truth and beauty in miniature. William Windsor and Diane Baker do the show honour. Wait until you see Windsor's performance. A tremendous job. A few of the execs here were screening it, and I have observed and find it interesting that when something unusual and special happens on the screen, it evokes a warm, appreciative, genuine humour response. This one's a classic. Congratulations, Rolf. I think that puts it far better than I could. So until next week, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Goodbye.